If you've got a Bible with you, open please with me to the book of Colossians chapter 1. And man, I feel for you guys today. Why do I feel for you? Sarah and I just got back from four or five days away at a conference, actually at Brother Keith Moore's church, our home church in Branson, Missouri, for the week of increase. And we got so jacked up on the word of God while we were there, got so full, got so stirred up, got so fired up. And as a matter of fact, before we ever went, I was spending time just as we were preparing to come into this, uh, this month of October overflow that you and I are in right now, believing God that we are running over in October. And I've been looking at scripture after scripture after scripture on this and was already making notes for it. And then we show up in Branson and brother Keith starts preaching all the scriptures that I've been looking at. And it just fired me up even more. And I just want to thank him for doing all my study for me because, man, I'm good to go. And so I feel for you today that you are, you might be drinking out of a fire hose this morning, but you can handle that, right? Some of you are like, yeah, maybe you'll like it. Colossians chapter one. And uh, last week we did begin in this month of October at the direction of the Lord, believe in him, trust in him, that this is a month that we are running over. We are believing God for increase to overflow. And I believe those are the, the words he gave us for this month. And of course, beyond, it doesn't stop. You know, when you get to November or, or you move past the few weeks that are in front of us right now, we're believing God for increase to overflow. And I think those are important words and, and to get them right and to get them in that order. Because before you can overflow, what do you got to do? You got to increase. An empty cup can't overflow. It's got to fill up a little bit. And it's got to have some more put in it and some more put in it and some more put in it. And it has to increase. But if that cup will just continue to increase and increase and increase and increase, there will come a time that eventually it will overflow. And we began looking at that last week. And one of the things the Lord said to us, and I want to continue building on it today, it's the realization that increase takes place on the inside. Overflow happens on the outside. If you've got an empty cup or an empty vessel, just like we've already said, and you begin filling it up, the increase is not happening on the outside of that cup. The increase is taking place, all the increase is taking place inside. But if it will just continue to fill up, overflow will happen, and that's what happens on the outside. Increase takes place inside, overflow takes place outside. Now, one of the things we're establishing all throughout this month is that no matter what you're talking about, whether you're talking about prosperity in any area of your life, and just quickly, do me a favor and say the word prosperity. prosperity. Just say it again for me. Just say prosperity. prosperity. Why am I having you do that? Because it has turned into such a dirty word. Have you noticed that? That now maybe not in here. We all tend to think at least a little bit alike on this, but this particular message, I can't think of any other message at this moment in time, at this place in history that is being met with more resistance, more opposition, 
more pushback than the message of God will prosper you. And the word itself has turned into such a dirty word, prosperity. But we're going to see this through scripture. It's a Bible word. I said, it's a Bible word. And we're going to have to renew our minds to what the Bible means when it uses this word. But this is, this is a big difference between us who believe this stuff and the rest, sadly, much of the body of Christ and the rest of the world that is in opposition to it. It all comes down to how you define it. Most of the people that are fighting a so-called prosperity message, if you were to ask them, what are you fighting? The first thing they would say is, well, you know, the, all the talk about money. All that talk about money. All that talk about money. Well, what they don't realize is that they just revealed their lack of understanding of what the Bible means when it says prosperity. We who actually study these things and we who go go way out on this limb to trust God and believe God because we see it in his word to do these things in our lives, we understand that prosperity is way bigger than money. Don't we church? I said, don't we church? We understand it's way bigger than money. And that what we're believing God for is not just prosperity in one area of our lives, but in all areas of our lives. Beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things. And around here, we call that whole life prosperity. That's not just prospering in your bank account or your pocketbook. That's prospering spirit soul and body and in that order i said in that order well what is that order it's inside out it's increasing on the inside first to prosper spiritually that's to have a thriving fellowship and relationship with god that's prospering spiritually prospering in your soul is that on the inside of the cup or the outside of the cup that's still inside where your own mind, your will, and your emotions are prospering. Why? Because your spirit's prospering and the overflow of your spirit is producing a, a prosperity in your soul and you don't live on an emotional solar coaster up and down and all over the place, but you're stable, you're fixed, you're established. Seems like I heard some good preaching on that recently on the inside, prospering in your spirit, prospering in your soul. We'll talk more about that, but what I want you to see is the result is, if you'll prosper on the inside first, it will produce an outward overflow of that prosperity. And that is when we begin to prosper materially, financially, physically, in our bodies. A strong and healthy body is prosperity. But before we can... Before we can lay hold of that by faith, before we can say, I believe God for that, we've got to recognize that, number one, this prosperity we're talking about, just like everything else God gave us in and through Jesus, is grace. It's grace. And any gift of God's grace has to be received, how? By faith. Grace is the hand of God that gives it. Faith is the hand of man that takes it. Did you hear that? Grace is the hand of God extending good things to us. 
Grace is the hand of God extending to us salvation, extending to us the gift of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, extending to us all the peace and the joy and the hope and the wisdom and every good thing that we need. The hand of God is the, is, uh, the grace of God is the hand of God extending to us healing and deliverance and prosperity in our relationships and prosperity in our finances and prosperity in every area of our lives. But what grace gives Faith has to take. If faith doesn't take it, it'll stay in the open hand of God. It takes faith to reach out and receive it. That's who's receiving grace. It's faith. People of faith. People who know how to lay hold of it by faith. But before you can lay hold of anything by faith, you've got to be assured that it's the will of God for you to have it. You've got to be confident. You've got to be like Abraham, who the Bible says was fully persuaded that what God promised, he was also able to perform. Fully persuaded. Don't you like the sound of that? Fully persuaded. That's different than almost persuaded. That's different than kind of persuaded. That's different than persuaded on Monday, not so much on Tuesday, maybe a little more on Wednesday, crying and weeping on Thursday because there's no way you know what I'm talking about? That up and that down. No, fully, fully persuaded faith. You've got to be fully persuaded that what we're talking about, this prosperity in every area of your lives, it's the will of God for you to have it. And that's what we began looking at here in Colossians chapter 1. Last week, verse 9, this is for this reason. We also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask. Talked all about asking already today. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. This is Paul speaking by the Spirit of God, praying a Spirit-led prayer for these people. And what is that prayer? I'm asking you, God, that you would fill them with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Read this next verse, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. Does you and I walking worthy of the Lord have anything to do with us being filled with the knowledge of his will? Absolutely it does. That you may walk worthy, verse 10, you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and, and, look at it, say it with me, increasing, increasing, increasing in the knowledge of of God. Do you hear what he's saying here? I'm praying that you be filled up with the knowledge of his will. Now this is so different than what traditional religious teaching says to us. We have been taught and people have just bought the lie that the will of God is so mysterious, that it's so unknowable and so unattainable. And the impression that it leads with us is, so why try finding it out? And what it leads people to believe is that whatever's happening must be the will of God. That if it happened, well, clearly God wanted it to happen. Because it wouldn't happen if God didn't want it to happen. See, people have all these wrong ideas about what the will of God is. Can you know the will of God? And yet, Scripture's telling us that not only can we know it. You ready for this? We can be filled up with it. I said we can be filled up with it. What does that mean? Well, think about it. If you've got a cup that's filled 
And filled means right to the top. How much room is left in that cup for anything else? None. Why? Because it's filled. It's filled. If you are full, filled with the knowledge of the will of God for your life, how much room is there left in you for anything else? See, this is so different than, well, we just take a stab at the will of God and maybe it is, maybe it's not. And, and who could really know? Who could ever understand? It's so deep. It's so dark. It's so mysterious. And yet the Bible's saying, what are you talking about? You can be filled up with this stuff. It can be so clear to you. It can be so knowable to you, receivable. And this is what the Spirit of God is leading Paul to pray. But I want you to notice it comes as you increase. Say it again. Increase, increase. in the knowledge of God. And when we're talking about being filled with the knowledge of his will, this is the same thing. To be filled with the knowledge of God himself. If you know him, you know his will. I said, if you know him, you know his will. You're not confused about his will. You're not confused about what he wants or if he would or maybe he does or maybe he doesn't. Why? Because I know him. I know him. I know him. Can anybody else in here say, I know him. I know him. And he knows me. That's fellowship. That's relationship. There are very few people on this earth that could speak for me and, and get it right 100% of the time. If they were going to say, well, I haven't talked to Jeremy about this, but I know what he wants. I know what he would do. One of those people is my wife, Sarah. Now, what gives her the confidence to say, this is the will of Jeremy for whatever it is we're dealing with? What gives her the confidence to say that? 15 years of knowing each other, of waking up next to each other, spending every day with each other. That builds something on the inside of you. It builds a confidence to speak on behalf of that person. What gives you and I the confidence of declaring what is or is not the will of God? Huh? Every day. Every day waking up in his presence. Every day walking with him all throughout the day. Every day laying down at night aware of God in me, God on me, God around me. Getting to know him. And he said, you can increase in this. Do I know everything there is to know about him? No. But there's no reason that I shouldn't know more today than I did yesterday. There's no reason... That you shouldn't or couldn't know God better tomorrow than you ever have any other day in your life. We can increase in this. Listen to it from the Amplified Translation. We'll have it on the screen for you. He said, for this reason we also, from the day we heard it, have not ceased to pray and make special requests for you. Asking that you'd be filled with the full, deep, and clear knowledge of his will. In all wisdom and comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God. And an understanding and discernment of spiritual things that you may walk, live, and conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing him. Listen to that word. Fully pleasing him. 
being fully pleasing to him and desiring to please him in all things, bearing fruit in every good work and steadily growing and increasing in the knowledge of God with fuller, deeper, and clearer insight, acquaintance, and recognition. It's just about knowing him, pleasing him. Did you realize it is entirely possible to know God really well in one area and have no clue about him in another. And it's happening every day. There are people, many of whom are ministers, preachers, pastors, stand in the fivefold ministry, and they've got a really full and clear understanding of, of God in this particular area. They, they know God as Savior. They know Jesus as Savior. Man, they've got that so deep, so ingrained in them, you couldn't talk them out of it. They've got such revelation of his saving grace. They've got such revelation of his desire and will and his will that, that no one would perish, but that all would come to the knowledge of the truth. They've got that. This healing thing, I don't know. This prosperity thing, ew, don't get me started. What are you seeing? Somebody that knows him really well over here, but has yet to grow in their understanding of him here. And you know what? This is the reason that you've never heard me, nor will you ever hear me from this platform criticize another man or another woman in their ministry. Why? Well, several reasons. Everything's a seed. Everything is a seed. I don't want to sow that. Another reason I don't do that is because who am I to judge another man's servant? They don't belong to me. They belong to God. But I'll tell you one of the biggest reasons I don't jump in with naming names and calling names and calling out people and calling out preachers and calling out messages. You want to know the biggest reason? Because there's a real good chance they know something I don't know. Oh, you didn't hear me. And I'm not just talking about me here. This is the reason you and I should be very slow to speak and be critical of other people, especially when it comes to the word and to things of the spirit and to things about God. Is there any chance that they know him maybe in a way you don't? Now listen, if something's just contrary to the word, that's one thing. But still, that doesn't mean we got to join in and, and be critical. Let's be known for our love. Huh? Let's be known for the way we love each other and love the body. But let's also be humble. You know what humility says? Humility says, I'm still learning. Humility says, I'm so thankful for what I see and what I know about God. But humility also says, there's more to him. There's more that I haven't seen. There's more about him that I don't know. Do you ever wonder why there's just angels that for all of eternity, past, present, and future, fly around the throne going, holy, 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 holy. It seems like that get old. Unless... Every lap, whoa, I just saw something I've never seen before. Whoa, did you see that? And is it possible 
to spend eternity in the presence of God and every day, every day, every day, see something in him you've never seen before. Oh, yeah. This is called increasing in the knowledge of God. And as you do, you increase in the knowledge of his will. We also looked, don't you have to turn there, but in the book of Romans chapter 12, speaking of the will of God, he said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and perfect or a good, acceptable and perfect will of God. Evidently, you and I proving out, living out the will of God has a lot to do with our minds being renewed. And our minds being renewed, if you study that word, it's actually the word for renovation. Renewed means to renovate. Now, this is something we know all too much about in our culture these days. People are renewing. People are renovating basically anything they can get their hands on. And we've got whole reality shows. We've got whole television networks that are dedicated to the renovation process, right? Buying a house, a piece of junk, and you tear out the walls, and you put up new stuff and pretty stuff, and you turn it, and you love it, and you list it, you flip it, you whatever. We are really familiar with this concept of renewal and renovation, and, and sometimes cities or, or people with a lot of money come into an area of a city, and they, they start this renewal process. What is it? It's renovation. We're going to rip out the old and we're going to put up the new. We're going to rip out what, what, what's not good anymore. We're going to rip out the, the, the stuff that doesn't hold anything up anymore. And he said, this is what you got to do in your mind. You got to go through that same renovation process in the way you think. In the way you think, which means there are ways that we think that need to be ripped out. There are some walls in the way that we think that need to be torn down. They need to be demoed. It's demo day up here in this church. There are some things that we've thought for decades and just assumed they were true. But when we see it in the word of God, we find out, whoa, that way of thinking has got to go. And I got to put up, put up something new in there, something true that can support and sustain where I'm headed. The renewal the renovation process in the way we think so that we can prove what is the will of God. Thank you, Lord. So today I'm asking you, if you hear something today or in the weeks to come that doesn't sound like maybe what you heard growing up or what you've heard somebody else say about prosperity, if you see it in the word, are you willing to rip down the old and put up the new? Are you willing to? A lot of people aren't. And this is why we asked this question last week. Where do we look then to know the will of God? Where do we find it? Well, first of all, we got to realize there's some places we don't look. We do not look to the traditions of men to tell us what the will of God is. Jesus actually said it to the most religious people of his day. He said, you have made the word of God of no effect. Do you get what a statement that is? Let me paraphrase here. Jesus is looking at these guys and he said to them, you sucked all the power out of this. All the ability it has to save and heal and deliver. You have drained it of his power. You've made it of no effect. The word having no effect. And he said, How, how'd they do it? Through their tradition. They took traditions 
and began to worship tradition and value tradition more than what God had ever said about it. You can't look to tradition to tell you what the will of God is. You can't look just to somebody's experience to tell you what the will of God is. And you certainly can't look to their lack of experience to tell you what the will of God is. But do you realize this is what's happening? This is what's happening in millions upon millions of lives of Christians all over the world. They believe with total confidence that they know the will of God because of what didn't happen. Because of what somebody didn't receive. Because of what somebody didn't experience. And they have made up their mind about God's will to save, heal, deliver, and prosper because somebody never received it. Well, that must mean it's not God's will, it wasn't God's will, or we don't know why it's his will for some and not his will for others. This is a major, major way of thinking in the minds of Christians that's got to be ripped out. Well, where'd they get that? Huh? Where did they come to that conclusion that that's what God's, God's will was? Through experience. But this is why the Bible says that you and I can have a knowledge of God that passes experience. I want you to pray this prayer right now. Say this out loud. Say, Father, I'm asking you to elevate my experience to match your word. What you're saying is I refuse to water down the word to match my experience. I'm asking you, Lord, if there's something I'm living or experiencing or not experiencing, I'm asking you to bring that up until I come up to your higher ways, until I come up to your ways of thinking, your ways of living. It's a powerful prayer. You can't look to tradition. You can't look to experience. So where do we look? We look to the word because God's word reveals God's will. God's word reveals God's will. But even more narrow than that, let me, let me focus that down just a little bit more. We don't just look to the word. Now you can look anywhere cover to cover in this book and you can find the will of God revealed. But if you're really looking for it and you want to find it quick, look no further than Jesus. Look to the life of Jesus. Because the Bible says that Jesus was and is the express image of the Father. He is the brightness of his glory. He's the visible image of the invisible God. So where do we look to find the will of God? We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 6, he said, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Man, I like that. That hit me in such a strong way just in the last few hours looking at this again. And you go back and you think about all the amazing things that happened in the life and ministry of Jesus and every word that he preached and every miracle that he worked, which would include blind eyes coming open and deaf ears being open and the dead being raised. And the thing that hits me as one of, if not the strongest characteristic of his ministry, more than the messages, more than the miracles, is this right here. He never did anything. Out of his own will. He did everything according to the will of God. What could you say about Jesus? He was filled with the knowledge of the will of God. So if he was filled with the knowledge of the, of the will of God, how much room in there was him left for his own will? Oh, church. Mm. Try that somewhere else. <laughs> if Jesus was filled 
with the knowledge of the will of God, how much room was there left in him for his own will? None. If you, if I am filled with the knowledge of the will of God, and I mean filled, man, from the top of my head to the soles of my feet, every inch of me consumed with the knowledge of the will of God, how much room is there left in me for my own will? This is what we got to get out. This is what we got to get rid of. Now, you notice this about filling up a cup before. Let's say that same cup we've been talking about all day had a little bit of something in it. Maybe, maybe you poured a glass of milk and there's still a little bit left in there. Have you noticed what happens when you got a little bit of something in there, but you start filling it with something else? You start pouring water. Maybe you take that cup, you set it in the sink, you turn that faucet on and you just let it run. You just let it run. Whatever was in there, eventually, what's going to happen to it? It's going to come out. It's going to be displaced. As, it, as the cup, as you, as I fill up with something else, whatever was in there is on its way out right now. See, this is where we are in the process. As we increase and strengthen in our knowledge of God, the, the knowledge of our own will, the commitment to do what we want, and the dedication to our own desires, or the, the, the knowledge of somebody else's will and preferences for our lives, as we fill up, fill up, fill up, fill up, fill up, fill up on the knowledge of the will of God, everything else is being flushed out, displaced, and we are headed to the place, church, you better shout amen, that we come to the place where we are filled with the knowledge of his will. What could a church do? What could, a, what could a few hundred people do who were empty of their own will, full of his? That's Jesus. That's Jesus. I didn't come to do my own will. I came to do the will of him who sent me. He said in John 14, if you had known me, you would have known my father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. He was explaining to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And who was it? Was it Philip? Who, who was it that said something to him right on the heels of that? He said, show us the father. <laughs> and the Bible wrote it down and we all get to talk about it later. Bless his heart. <laughs> but this is what Jesus is saying. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Or if you've seen me do these things, well, you know what the will of God was. And what was Jesus' ministry characterized by? Teaching, preaching, and healing. You do not have to ever wonder again. Come on right now, I'm about to fill you up a little bit with the knowledge of his will. You never have to wonder again, is it God's will to heal me? How can I say that with such confidence? Just looking at Jesus. I'm just looking at him. And every time I look at him, I'm seeing the father. When I see him do something, I'm seeing the father do something. And I know that when Jesus healed, evidently, he didn't do that of his own will. It was the will of the father who sent him. So when it comes to prosperity, where do we need to look? We need to look to the life of Jesus to find out if this is truly the will of God for us. Go to John chapter 10. I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture. You doing okay? John 10. Let's read a few verses here. These are some of the 
scriptures I was looking at before we went to that conference. And as soon as we got there, Brother Keith starts preaching on this. Man, it's just pouring fuel on the fire. John chapter 10. I'll just read verse 1 and we'll, we'll head down for the next several verses here. He said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some of the way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. Why? For they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration. They didn't understand the things which he spoke to them. So he said in verse 7, then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't hear them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved. He'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it, how? More abundantly. He said in verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now what we're looking for specifically today and all the rest of this month, as we look to the life and ministry of Jesus, we are looking like detectives searching the word specifically for increase to overflow. Okay? And what Jesus is helping his disciples and us see here, several things. He said, I'm the good shepherd. He said, there is though a thief. And the thief does not come except to steal to kill, and to destroy. But I came, he said, that they may have life, and help me out, church, how are we having this life? Have it more abundantly. More abundantly. Man, something hit me about this verse that I've never seen before. When you, when you and I use the word more, what are we doing? We're comparing things. If you come and say, I've got seven, and I say, well, yeah, well, I've got ten. I have of whatever it is we're talking about, right? More. Well, Jesus could have said, I came that they'd have life and have it abundantly. But he didn't. He said, I came that they'd have it more abundantly. What's he comparing? He's comparing the life that he has to the death and the stealing, the killing and destroying that the thief has. And the life that he has is more than the death that our enemy has. Yes, there is a thief. Yes, he steals. Yes, he kills. Yes, he destroys. But good news, there's also a Jesus. And this Jesus has more life than, our thief, than the thief does death. Our Jesus has more life flowing out of him than the thief does stealing, killing, and destroying. It's more abundant. Now listen to it from the Amplified. What are we looking for? Increase to overflow, right? In the Amplified, it says it like this, John 10, 10. The thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life, have it in abundance, ready? To the full, till it overflows. What's he saying? 
I came to fill up some cups. There's a bunch of empty vessels on this earth before he came. He came and we was all empty. Nothing in us. And if we did have anything in us, it was nothing but the knowledge of ourselves, the knowledge of our own will, the knowledge of our own need. And he said, I came to fill you up. I came to fill you up with so much life that it begins to overflow out of you. Isn't that what he said? To the full until it overflows. Now, one of the things I think we'll come back to in the weeks to come, but I want to build on it just for a couple of minutes today. If you look throughout this entire entire passage that we've just read and then beyond it, he is helping us see exactly what he means when he said, I came to give you life. That's a big word. Can anybody else see that? That's a big word. Life. Okay, well, what's that mean? Well, it means more than just a beating heart inside your chest. It means more than just having a pulse. He said, I came to give you life. And what you begin to see as you study through the scriptures, that it's not just life, but everything that pertains to it. Everything you need in this life. To fill up and to overflow with it. What did he say? To have and enjoy life. One of the things he said here, that the good shepherd, which is who he identified himself to be, One of the things he said the good shepherd does is he leads the sheep into the pasture. Well, what is pasture? If you're a sheep, you get excited about pasture. Why? Because we eating today. Feeding. What does this have to do with providing? Provision. Isn't it interesting that people would agree that, yes, Jesus came to give us life, but would fight you on the idea that are anything material, financial, natural would be included in that. Why? Why is it not included in life? It pertains to life. Or are we just pretending we don't need any money in this life? Are you so spiritual? That's what it is. I get it. I'm sorry. I see what it is. You're so spiritual that you just sort of hover a few feet off the ground as you walk through this life. And that all these other things these mere mortals need, food and clothing and money to pay the bills. and Oh, you don't need any of that stuff because you're so spiritual. And that the life Jesus came to give doesn't have anything to do with any of that. You're kidding yourself. Why? The question is why? Why wouldn't it be included? And he even said... In talking about the kind of life that he came to give, I take my sheep into the pasture. That's provision. What else did he say? They follow me. That's direction. What else did he say? If you you read on, he said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In the very next few verses, he starts talking about the wolf that's coming. He already talked about the thief that's coming. Yes, there's a thief in this world. Yes, there is one that steals and kills and destroys. But the good news is we've got a good shepherd who's got more life to give than that thief does death. And our good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So not only does our life include our provision, not only does it include our direction, it includes our protection. You know what we're doing right now? 
we're beginning to understand prosperity. We're, we're actually right now starting to get a bigger, broader picture of what it actually means to prosper. Because people hear prosperity and their first thought is money. But who cares about money if you got no direction in your life? Huh? You want to know one of the quickest ways to lose a bunch of money? Have no direction. Have no path to follow. Follow your own will. Not the will of God. Follow your own desire. Follow your own impulse. Follow your own good idea. How many people have lost fortunes that way? What good is money without direction? What good is money without protection? Huh? What good is, what good is millions in the bank? If, if you got attacked by the wolf and you're laying there dead... Is all that money doing you any good? No. no. You can see now prosperity is more than money, isn't it? Provision, direction, protection. Say it with me. Provision, direction, protection. Do you have time for just one more? Psalm 23. You ever read anything good out of Psalm 23? This is about the good shepherd. As a matter of fact, the first verse says, The Lord is my shepherd. You know what I have written down in my Bible here? John 10. The Lord is my shepherd. But look at, before you even get to the next verse, what does he say? The Lord's my shepherd. And because of that, I shall not want. Oh, glory to God. Because the Lord's my shepherd, because Jesus is my good shepherd. What's the result of him being my good shepherd? Now, he could have said anything. The Lord is my shepherd, and I ain't going to hell. Well, that's true. That's good. That's right. And if that's all it was, that'd be enough to be happy about. He could have said anything right there. But the thing that he used as the defining characteristic of Jesus being our shepherd the defining result of Jesus being the one who, who provides and guides and protects is we don't lack anything. Because he's my shepherd, I shall not lack. Now, what you got to understand about this 23rd Psalm is it's not just pretty. It's not just poetic. It's a confession. This is what should be coming out of your mouth when you do lack, when the cup is not filled. And it's certainly not overflowing. This is what you should be putting in your mouth. When the need is big and it's great and it's pressing on you, what should you be saying? Oh, this need. Oh, where are we going to get the money? Oh, how are we going to pay the bill? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God is fine unless you ain't got no faith in it. What should you be saying? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. I shall not want. Now, look at this. He's my shepherd. I will not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Man, if we had time, I'd take you over to John chapter 6. When this whole multitude of people, like a great big flock of sheep, come walking up to Jesus. And he says, let's feed them. Whose idea was it to feed them? Jesus. He said, let's feed them. And I won't take you through the whole thing, but you remember the story. They brought a little boy's lunch, and the first thing Jesus said was, make 
the people sit down. Look up that word. You know what it actually is? Recline. And the very next verse there in John 6 says there was much grass in the place. You ever just wonder why the Bible throws in these details every now? Okay, thanks, Bible. Well, think about it. Jesus, the good shepherd, just said to the people, make the people lie down in green pastures. We got a good shepherd. Why? Why did he tell them to do that? Because he's got one thing on his mind. I'm going to feed these people. I'm going to feed these people. It wasn't anybody else's idea. It was Jesus' idea to feed the people. Whose idea was it to feed the people? Jesus' idea to feed the people. It was not the disciples' idea. You know that because they're like, how are we going to do that? The people didn't even come asking to be fed. It was Jesus' idea. And if it was Jesus' idea, what else do you know? This is the will of God that these people be fed. Make the people lie down in green pastures. This psalmist said, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. That's filling up on the inside. We're filling up on the inside. When your soul's been given out, your soul's been spending because you've been going through things in relationships. You've been going through things at home. You've been going through things that have just been taxing you in your soul and you feel like you're just out of patience. You feel like you're out of confidence. You feel like you're all over the place. That's not the time to be going. I feel like I'm all over the place. I feel like I'm just broken. I'm just so broken. We got to get broken out of our mouths, church. Have you noticed what a, what a catch word it is to say in, in church about, oh, we just all so broken. We're just all so broken. We're just all so broken. You can be broken if you want. I got a good shepherd and my good shepherd restores my soul. He's putting strength back on the inside of me. And yes, I get it. We all empty out. Yes, I understand that. I understand that there are times when the cup just gets flat and knocked over. And everything you got inside goes spilling out. Well, what do you need? You need to be filled back up again. That's when you got to go to your good shepherd. Who will restore your soul. Fill you up. Increase you on the inside. He restores my soul. He leads me. What did Jesus say? My sheep follow me. Now listen to Psalm 23, one from the Amplified. The Lord is my shepherd. Put it up there. You see it? The Lord is my shepherd to feed, guide, and shield. Feed, guide, shield, provide, direct, protect. This is prosperity. I said, this is prosperity. This is life more abundantly. This is life to the full. Now it's overflowing because you got a thief that's come to steal, kill and destroy. But you got a Jesus, a good shepherd, who's got more life, more provision than the thief does stealing, more protection than the thief does destroying, more direction than the thief does confusing. Are you hearing me this morning? The Lord's my shepherd to feed, guide, shield, provide, uh, direct, and protect. This is prosperity. He said, yea. Well, back at that verse 3 again. He restores my soul. He leads me. He leads me. This is what you should be saying. 
when it's decision-making time and you don't know what to do and you're confused and it feels like I got a lot of options here. Well, what do you know? You know, I, I need to be filled up. I need to be filled up with the knowledge of his will. Let's get rid of the knowledge of any other will. Let's be filled with the knowledge of his will. And what you should be saying is not, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. What you should be saying is, I got a good shepherd who leads me. I know his voice. I follow him. I'm his sheep. He's my shepherd and he leads me. He provides, guides, protects. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and staff, they comfort me. That's, that's not about, oh, I feel so comfortable. The rod and the staff of the shepherd, these are weapons. That, we that rod was a, was a defensive and even offensive weapon if needed. Because here comes a wolf to take a sheep. But he's about to run into this good shepherd and his rod. And that staff, can you picture what those staffs used to look like? That, that long stick with that big hook on the end? What's that for? Rescue that sheep. He's about to go off the side of that cliff. Come back over here, little buddy. This is about our protection. Our prosperity is not just about having enough money. Yes, it's about provision. But on top of that, it's about direction. It's about protection. Thank you, Lord. Your rod and staff, they comfort, they protect me. I like it. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's kind of a funny statement. I'm going to sit down to eat in the middle of all my enemies? How could you sit down to this big, beautiful meal that he prepared? How are you going to sit down and eat while you got enemies all around you? Oh, I see. You got some protection. How else are you going to sit down and eat? If you don't have that protection, there's no eating. The moment you sit down, here comes your enemy. He'll take you and the food. Oh, but we got a good shepherd. I said, we got a good shepherd. And this is not about someday in heaven. There are no enemies in heaven. This is about right here, right now. This is about you and I sitting down to the table that grace has set. And grace has put some good things on that table. Grace has put some salvation on that table. Grace has put some healing on that table. Didn't, doesn't the scripture call healing the children's bread? Oh, and it's right there on that table. Grace has put some deliverance on the table. Grace has put prosperity on the table. But it does you and I no good to walk up to the table, look around it, walk around it going, oh, this looks good. This looks really good. Oh, doesn't that look delicious? Oh, Oh, wow, how yummy that looks. Oh, it looks so good. It looks so good. It looks so good. Oh, what a beautifully set table. Thanks, Lord. And walk away. What good is the table being set if you don't sit down and eat something? Grace is the hand that gives. Faith is the hand that receives. Grace has set the table. Faith will sit down. Yeah, but all my enemies are right here. Sit down. 
Yeah, but look at what's going on. Sit down. It takes faith to sit down and eat something in the presence of your enemies. How can you do that unless you've got some protection? We've got a good shepherd who not only set the table, we've got a, a good shepherd who not only leads us to the table, we've got a good shepherd that will sit there and protect you and lay down his life so that you can sit and feast on his goodness. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Are you ready to shout? My cup. I don't know. I don't know. Seems to me we've been talking about this cup all morning long. My cup. Well, my cup, he's, he's filled it with just as much as he sees fit. And, you know, it's not all the way, but we need to be thankful. And it's not a lot, but it's, it's something to, you know, God and his sovereignty has seen fit. And, and, you know, we don't need a lot. There are others that need more than we do. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Read the Bible for a second. This cup we've been talking about all day. This psalm that started out with him doing what? Filling you up. Filling you up. Restoring you in your soul. I mean, I'm telling you somebody or many somebodies needs to hear this this morning. You watching online, you need to hear this this morning. There is restoration for your soul. I don't know what all you've been through. I don't know what all challenges you've been facing or what area or arena of your life you've been facing them in. But there is restoration for your soul. Your soul can be made well and be made whole and be made strong. And you do not have to live broken. You do not have to walk around this life broken and fragmented into pieces because of what you've been through or because of what somebody's done for you. You've got a good shepherd. Come on, stand on your feet and say that loud. I've got a good shepherd. And he restores my soul. He restores my soul. What's he doing? He's filling you up, filling you up, filling you up. And if you'll just sit there at that table and you'll just eat. And every time he comes around and says, can I get you some more? You want a little more to drink? Let me top it off. Let me put a little more in there. And you say, yes, Lord, that'd be great. Go ahead and fill the cup. And he starts pouring. And you watch as he pours. And it was empty, but it starts filling up. Go ahead, guys. It starts to fill up. And you're thinking, is he going to stop? Because it's, it's getting more full. You ever had a waiter that started to pour your coffee and got distracted? If they just keep pouring without paying attention, that's going to end up all over the floor, all over you. And you're thinking, Lord, it's, uh, it's getting full there. You see that? He goes, yeah. You go, okay, well, yeah, thanks. That, no, that's good. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm going to keep filling. Yeah, but Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm full. I'm good. I know. I'm going to keep filling. I'm going to keep filling. Oh, but Lord, it's, it, it's starting to overflow. I know. Isn't it good? The Lord is getting on the table. I know. Isn't it good? Oh, the Lord is running off the table. I know. Isn't it good? God is getting all over me. Yes. That's the point. That what you've been filling up with inside is overflowing on the outside. 
and it's getting all over you. It's getting all over everybody else at the table. It's running off the table, on the floor, out the door. And that's when we begin ministering to other people with the overflow of the good things our good God has done for us. Shout amen if you believe it. Glory to God. Glory to Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.